Hi, I'm Steve Arters, um, Stephen, and uh, I go by regular Steve. I work with uh, Youth Ministry Some, um, a great group over there. And uh, I'm going to make you do some homework today. Um, so as uh, I'm in part of uh, Pastor Steve's ad group, so if he asks you to be part of an ad group, you might end up speaking sometime just, just to warn you about that. Anyway, um, and uh, I want to share with you this morning some uh, from uh, a thought, I guess, from uh, a study that we've been doing in, in youth group on Wednesday nights, Clay's been bringing us through uh, a study in John, and uh, we've, we've gone through chapter one so far, and uh, there's just this amazing image of, of Jesus coming and being with us, and it's kind of flowing out of that and, and some of the stuff, that, the other things I was reflecting on that I feel like God kind of laid on my heart what uh, I might share with you this morning, and and so I just want to take a moment and pray and just ask God to really uh, be present with us in this time. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your great love for us. It, it, it is so amazing, so beautiful. And as we sing about your love and we recognize it's so, so deep, so profound, it does need to catch us off guard it does need to, to overwhelm us in such a way that sometimes our circumstances just kind of pale in comparison to recognizing how, how much you love us and, and how much you have provided for us and, and what your plan is for us. Lord God, you know that, that uh, we're in a, a whole lot of different places in this room. Uh, the challenges that each one of us are facing, the struggles, the stresses, you know them all. And, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would speak in such a way to, uh, to minister to those fears and those hurts and that pain, uh, that you would speak to our hopes and, and that you would break, put perspective on the, the events of our lives in the past and, and even what unfolds this afternoon in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I uh, am involved in, uh, in real estate. Uh, I usually uh, kind of spend my Sunday afternoons at an open house. And, and so uh, I just thought uh, I would talk about uh, houses uh, today. No, you're not, don't worry, I'm not, I don't have any business cards or anything like that. Um, but uh, I want to talk about a, a dwelling for God and a particular passage that describes the, the indwelling of God and really comes out of our study on Wednesday nights that Clay's been leading us through in the Gospel of John. And so, so far, we've looked at chapter one, and chapter one reminds us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and that Word is the, uh, the one through whom the creation occurred. It is Jesus, and it says in, in verse 14 that the word became flesh and lived with us for a while. And we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten son of God. And when it describes that experience of, of seeing Jesus, the way John describes it is that when he came, he came full of grace and truth, not filled with miracles, not filled with good ideas. It says he came filled with grace and truth. 
And the glory of God comes in the flesh. And instead of looking at God and, and dying, like, uh, or going, becoming undone, they looked at Jesus and they could see the grace of God at work in conversation with people, loving and healing and speaking the truth to people. They could see the truth of God expressed in that relationship and conversation, being able to ask questions like, so who is my neighbor? You know, you're supposed to love your neighbor. Or like, who is my neighbor? You know, being able to ask Jesus that kind of question or, or uh, you know, what must I do to have eternal life? You know, being able to kind of ask questions and be able to receive truth. And what I loved about the way Jesus, when you, oh, you read the gospels and you read how Jesus interacted with people, they would come to Jesus with a question and you know what Jesus would do? What would he do? What? He would ask them a question. He would answer their question by asking them a question. Because sometimes the question that, uh, that they had in the forefront of their minds really wasn't the thing that they needed to hear. And so that's what's so wonderful about Jesus coming with grace and truth. He didn't come with truth and just bash it over people's heads. Even in his challenging conver- conversations, his confrontation, he would just ask the question that needed to be asked. And, and he would lay somebody kind of wide open and do it in the most loving way possible because he was filled with grace and truth. And even the Old Testament law is filled with all kinds of gracious things. The, the law was really gracious uh, in, in its presentation and, and, and healthy and helpful for us. But a lot of times people couldn't see that grace at work. And oftentimes religious types would extract the grace out of it and just make it some laws and rules. And they kind of overlaid it with so many rules that it became a, a burden and really took the fun out of it. Things like the, the Sabbath, which was time to be a time of rest meant you had to work twice as hard on Saturday so that you could rest. I'm like, well, why not, why not just spread it out over two days? Um, you know, instead, they said, oh, you got to work extra hard. So a lot of times religious types, they would take the grace out of it and just make it more, more work. But when Jesus comes, he comes full of grace and truth. And so he begins to instruct people, oh, man, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And in one area after another, he kind of unfolds God's plan and God's truth in this gracious, loving way. Now, in the Gospel of John, when it says that he came full of grace and truth, and we were able to witness it and experience it, when we see how Jesus interacts with all these different people through the Gospel of John, and again, I'm just giving you guys a foreshadowing of, of what uh, we're going to be studying for in the next weeks, months, slash, you know, um, who knows how long. But Jesus interacts with his disciples, and then he, he interacts with this nationally recognized religious leader uh, who, you know, he was, he, was, he was like Billy Graham. Now, in the first service, people knew who Billy Graham was, and we realized that you know, some people don't even know who he is anymore. But that, that image of somebody who's a nationally recognized religious leader, and then he goes from that conversation with, with a, an elitist to a woman who's working on her sixth husband. You know, I mean, she's had five, and, and she's just working on guy number six right now. And goes from that conversation to a conversation with a, a, a homeless, handicapped guy to big blue-collar crowds, to some big city crowds, to uh, the national religious leaders all kind of confronting him at the same time, then on to this interaction with some blind guy, and then he goes to a, 
a funeral for a friend. And we see Jesus in all of these different contexts in the Gospel of John. It's really cool. And then he has the crowds grab him and they, they throw him on a donkey and they want to make him king, but, but he doesn't bite on that. You know, he doesn't take, he doesn't put all of his um, stock in them as, as understanding who he is and why he really came. It's a summary of those three years. And then he, he sits down with his disciples at the Last Supper. And, and we remember the Last Supper when we participate in communion, where he talks about his, his body given for us and his, his blood shed for us. And he summarizes his, his three years of ministry with his disciples in John chapter 13 down to, to 16. And basically he starts out in, in, verse, in chapter 13 saying, look you guys, I want, I want you to love each other. In the same way that I have loved on you, I want you to love on each other. In fact, you know, in years to come, people are gonna put fish on their bumper stickers to demonstrate that they're Christians, but that will be entirely ineffective. See, what I really want for you guys is to love each other and everyone will know that you're my disciples, not by the fish, but by how you love one another. Yeah. So he says, love each other like I loved you. And then, and then he says, uh, in ch- chapter 14, he says something amazing. Whoever believes in me will do greater things than me. What? Better than Jesus? cooler things than Jesus did. I mean, we can read the Gospels and think pretty cool stuff. But what Jesus says, hey, you're going to do cooler things than I did. You're going to do greater things than, than I did during these three years together with you. And he says this, the way it's going to happen is if, if you dwell in me and I dwell in you, then you're going to do great things. You're going to need that connectedness which is core value number one, which is called what? It's in the foyer. Someone run out there and look. Umbilical. Now you're like, oh yeah, I remember that. The idea of being umbilical, um, that uh, uh, this intimate connection gives us the capacity to, to bear fruit, to be productive. And so Jesus says, look, if you dwell in me and I dwell in you and my words dwell in you, that's the source of the great things that you're going to do, the greater things than even I did during my time here with you. And then he says something crazy in chapter 16. He says, you know, I'm going to leave. And they're like, where are you going? And he says, all right, I'll be back for you. Don't worry. I'm going to prepare a place for you. He says that in chapter 14. But in chapter 16, he's like, oh, by the way, it's better that I leave. It's to your advantage that I go away. And the disciples who've been hanging out with Jesus for three years they're like, what? Jesus, like, you're, this is crazy talk, Jesus. It's probably not the first time they thought it was crazy talk, um, you know, because uh, Jesus said all these amazing things. But here, this is probably like, what? how could it be better if you go away, Jesus? You are awesome. You are amazing. The things that we've seen you do and the things that we've heard you say and the way you care for people, like, how could it ever be better without you? And Jesus says it. It's really, it's better if I go away because when I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. 
part of our problem as followers of Jesus is I don't think we believe that. I don't think we believe that a lot of times. I think we think it would be a whole lot better if Jesus was like right here, right now, and we could watch him work. But it's, it's not his plan. See, what's better is that, guess what? He watches you work. He watches himself working in and through you by the power of the Holy Spirit. So God's plan through Jesus is ultimately, if we look at the gospel of John, Jesus coming full of grace and truth. By the end of chapter 16, we basically see Jesus saying to his followers, his disciples, guess who's going to be full of grace and truth? You are. Guess who's going to show people what God is like? You are. And I think kind of looking back on some history of a couple thousand years. There's been times where church people haven't done a great job being filled with grace and truth. Other times, amazing. Sometimes not. And so the, I have this image of this dwelling for God. I have this cathedral picture. And the reason I have this cathedral picture is not because that is a church, that's why I'm using the word cathedral, because it's not a church. We know, and I think we're reminded really well here at 360, that this is not a church. This is, why do we call this building? The warehouse. And for those of you who are newer, you'll hear that phrase. And why is this called the warehouse? Because it's not the church. This is the church. You are the church. And it, we have to constantly remind it because, you know, we, we have grown up maybe in a lot of different contexts where the church was the structure. And we thought about going to the building and going to the church. And things happened at the building, at the church. And it, it kind of messes up our thinking when we, if we fail to recognize the church is not made up of concrete or stones or wood, but it is made up of us as we follow Jesus. And so when he tells his followers, you guys are going to be full of grace and truth, that when, when the church leaders and the, the early um, followers of Jesus, they, they described the image of the church as a building because it was a great metaphor to help us understand that, that idea of a space because they were used to things like temples where people would go to meet God and go to worship and, and go to be taught. And so the image of, of, church, of the church being a temple helped them recognize, oh, it's just a metaphor for how we interact with one another. And, and so they used the image of a building to describe how God was putting people together, different kinds of people, with different strengths and abilities, almost like different materials in order to produce this building. And God's plan was not to have a, a physical temple building, but to have a temple made out of people. The problem with a building or a, a, a temple made out of people is that sometimes we're not great material to build out of. And so I brought some, uh, some pull noodles, uh, fantastic building material for children. And... Um, and so, you know, and pull noodles, that's, 
let's kind of look at some of the characteristics of pool noodles, right? You know, I mean, you've played with them before, you know. In fact, I think to myself often, I wish I had invented the pool noodle. I mean, seriously, how much does this thing cost? Gigantic spaghetti machine making millions of dollars. Um, so, fantastic idea. So, you know, but uh, last week Steve was talking about being all in. When he talked about uh, discipleship, and sometimes we're, we're too busy for discipleship. We're too busy to invest in our relationship with God. And, and it's, you know, it's interesting because people are, are taking exchange and they're eating it up in other places. And yet I know that there's, there's some of you who have looked at exchange and you're aware of exchange. You're like, oh, gosh, I don't know. You know because if I, if I do it, I mean, one, it's going to take time. Um, and then also, I'm sure that there's like personal questions involved in that. And, and do I really want to be like that intimate with somebody one-on-one about the fact that, you know, I'm a little bent? Um, you know, or sometimes, sometimes it's a matter of like the truth. Um, and we recognize that our culture doesn't really like God's truth. Uh, you know, there's things that are described as, as sin in the Bible. And, and we would rather describe them as, you know, as, uh, as, as challenges or, or, or just, you know, um, the, the, the way we want to conduct our lives. It's choices that we have. And, and all of us, you know, we, we end up bent in certain ways. And so maybe we don't want to stand up and like kind of say what the Bible has to say because we know that people are going to get upset about it. And so we'd rather just kind of keep quiet and hold our tongue. Or, you know, I, I love this church. You know, don't you love a church that has these boxes at the doors for, for giving? Because it's not as if it's like real obvious. There's no plate that's going by that you either like make a motion into or don't. I mean, it's all like on the sly, you know? And so, you know, the, the good thing about a church like that is, gosh, if you don't give at all, then no one's going to know. You know, and, and what, you know, yes, I know that, that uh, you know, we all know we, we should be giving, we should be supporting God's kingdom and, and, and what God is doing, but there's just, there's bills to pay and expenses and, and there's these things that I want and, and, and all of a sudden we just, we get kind of bent. Or, or when it comes to in, instilling godly values in, in the lives of the people around us, they're disciplining our kids. You know, we, we get tired and, and so maybe we're inconsistent or, or, or we operate of, out of anger. You know, I'll just speak about myself. Like I operate out of anger instead of just doing what, you know, I ought to do and reflecting the character of Jesus and speaking the truth and love. And, and I, I'm, I'm bent. I'm terrible building material. Or, or let's talk about holding a grudge. I mean, you have to hold a grudge, right? Because because if you don't hold a grudge, who's going to remember that you were wronged? You know? I mean, who's, who's going to carry the torch for you if you don't? And if you don't constantly remind the people in your life how they've hurt you and wronged you, you see? You know? And then you just, you're bent and knotted up. Or, or, or things, like, things like gossip. Gossip shows how smart you are how you can so astutely observe and discriminate the issues that other people have. 
It also shows how connected you are that you have that kind of inside knowledge to be able to share with other people. I mean, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful tool for your own self-aggrandizement, but it's, it's bent. And, and so there's only these things that make us terrible material for building the dwelling of God. What happened with being full of grace and truth? And you look at churches, and again, the, the church of God is a wonderful thing, but sometimes, sometimes people have gotten wrapped up in themselves rather than in the, allowing themselves to be led by the, the, uh, the spirit of God and, and follow the truth of God. And so there are churches that really do a lot of destructive things to people. And, and maybe some of you have come out of a church situation that was just really, really destructive and, and painful because sometimes the, the building blocks are all bent. So how do we stay on track when we're just a bunch of pull noodles, easily bent? And so I want to look at, at something that Paul, who is a church planter, uh, prayed for, for one of the churches that he planted. And he reminded them of a couple things along this idea of, of being a temple. He says in Ephesians 2, 19, he says, you are members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And then it says, that in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place by the Spirit of God. So what he says, you, you're being made into a temple. All of us who are followers of Jesus are being made into a temple. That's why big circle events are important. That's why mid-circle events are important because when we come together, we form a temple where God dwells and where his grace and truth shine forth, not just for, for the believers, but again, Jesus says, they'll know you are my disciples and how you love one another. They have to see that. And so as people see that. So God doesn't live just in heaven or in a temple in Jerusalem or in some hill somewhere. The temple of God is where his followers gather. Rich, I need you. If you want to come up for a minute. Uh, other problem of being in an act group with people is you, you bring them up on stage too. All right. So um, I guess pick your, you know, you want, here, take this one. All right. Actually, take, take the green one instead. This one instead. You like that? It's a good, all right. Um, just, uh, you know, can you just grab it out by the ends and bend it? How's that? Was that a workout? Pretty easy. Yeah, pretty easy. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, uh, if you and I are going to form a dwelling place for God, we have to get rid of that kind of soft, weak, bent. I want you to try something else. I just want to see how effective you are. Can you just like whack me with it? All right. Got, all right, go ahead. I'm, I'm ready. All right. All right. No, I just, I want you to really kind of put some, I'm like, no, really. I mean, like, really, like, you know, Mark did it in the first service. So I'm like, doing like the only Mark would do it. All right. Okay. Okay. No, no, but I really, I really want you to, I really want you to just lay into it. Or was that, was that pretty much? much, Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Um, That's our problem. 
okay? That's our character, that's our nature. There's a, a softness to it. So, so what the apostle Paul says after saying, you guys are a temple, you're gonna have to stay up for a minute, all right? That, that um, because you're supposed to be a temple, he says, for this reason, because you're supposed to be a temple, I bow my knee before the Father. I pray to the God from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So when Jesus talked about, I want to abide in you, I want you to abide in me, I want us to be connected, umbilical, this is what Paul is praying. I pray that you would be strengthened in your inner being by the Holy Spirit. So instead of just being a, a noodle here, we become strengthened in our being by the Holy Spirit. Now, sometimes the work of God, you know, we let him into parts of our lives really easily, you know, and then there's other parts of our lives that we're like, oh, God, don't meddle with me. Um, and, and so it kind of becomes a little harder, a little bit more resistance in our lives. But of course, he wants all of us, so we're all in. Are we pretty much there? Okay. Is that good? All right. Strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit, not always going to be... <laughs> All right, yeah, all right. So, all right, let's, uh, can you bend it? Yeah, just take it by the ends. Can't use your knee. Just bend it, come on. Mark was able to do it in the first service. No, 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 he, he, he couldn't either. All right, so you want to try again? Or it's, it's good, not going to happen. Okay, all right. So, and, and of course you want to try to whack me with it. Don't, yeah, how many of you want to see that? Oh, oh, our friends, our friends there. Uh, sorry, that's not going to happen. Um, of course, in the first service, I could say, well, I still have to preach a second service, but in this service, I at least have to say I'm going to finish. So thanks. So, all right. This is what it means. It says, out of his glorious riches, according to his glorious riches, that you would be strengthened in your inner being by the Holy Spirit. Do you still look like a pole noodle? Yeah. Do you still have your characteristics of, of who you are, how, how God has designed you, your, your particular color, your, your size? Obviously, pole noodles come in all its shapes. I didn't you know, bring in a bunch of them. But, but you get the idea that there's, there's differences between us. But all of us not only have our character, but we take on the character of God when we're strengthened in our inner being by the Holy Spirit. So now when we're too tired or we start to get selfish or, or when we, we, we lose perspective or we're afraid, it's not just, it's not just us anymore. We are reinforced in our inner being. Our capacity is changed because of it. It doesn't change our, our talents. It doesn't change our personality. I mean, it does in some ways. Our, our personality gets shaped and tempered because some of our personalities are bent to do what's 
uh, unhealthy for us, sinful. And so he, he shapes our personality, he makes us more gracious, more truthful, you see, because we then take on the character of God. And, and then Christ can dwell in our hearts. And then we are productive like Jesus promised we would be in John chapter 15. And now we're capable of doing greater things that Jesus promised to us in chapter 14. And it's good. It's good that we, he left so that the Holy Spirit could come and be in us. Now we're filled with graciousness toward people and filled with truth to discern right and wrong. The Spirit will give you love for difficult people. Do you have difficult people in your life? You don't, don't raise your hand just in case they're in the room. Um, the Spirit will give you joy in terrible circumstances. The Spirit will give you peace when you're anxious and you just want to, like in one sense you're in knots, you're bent up. He'll give you peace that surpasses understanding. He'll give you patience when you want to give up. Kindness toward people who are in need. You'll just see that there are people in need. You, you saw people, we, we see people all the time, but the spirit within you gives you a kindness toward them. He'll give us goodness in our perception of people so that we, we want to treat people with goodness and kindness. He'll give us gentleness with fragile people. And again, this maybe not, doesn't look that gentle, but, but compared to just the, the pipe by itself, um, this is gentle. He'll give you faithfulness. When you don't want to follow through, you're done. And you just want to throw in the towel. He'll give you faithfulness. He'll give you self-control. When you be, want to be indulgent. When you think, hey, nobody knows, nobody sees, it's not going to be a big deal. You know, I just, I just want to make myself feel better. The spirit within you will give you self-control. We are reinforced by the Holy Spirit. It is already a gift given to all believers. We just sometimes don't act upon it because we don't believe it. So the second thing that Paul prays for is not just that we would be reinforced, but he says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So, uh, IB students, how many spatial dimensions are there? Three. That's right. Okay. And how many does he mention right there? Isn't that weird? I mean, it's just in the old days they, they counted in four directions and not three? I don't know. Um, but no, that's not, that's not at all. I think what, what Paul was driving at when he described these four is he wanted us to think, uh, I think he had something particular in mind. I think he had um, uh, the temple, which we're going to show in a minute, but this, this idea that he wanted us to be grounded with a foundation and so he says, I pray that you will be grounded in love. 
and rooted. Now, the rooted is kind of a mixed metaphor because it's back to that agricultural thing of being rooted. And then grounded is really to, to like having this concrete foundation. What's really interesting, I was kind of studying some skyscrapers. I was thinking of showing some pictures of skyscraper foundations uh, for you. I just have uh, that, that one that's up there uh, for this gigantic building. I mean, you can see, one, the, the, show the grounded picture. That, um, you know, that's all going to be concrete, and it uh, took them 19 hours to pour that. They poured continuously for 19 hours to build this, this foundation for this skyscraper. And what's interesting is below that, they drove pillars down because they weren't on bedrock. And so those pillars, as they go down into the ground, they put down hundreds of pillars. And you know what it looks like? It looks like roots. The, the, and he says, Paul says, I pray you be rooted and that you would be grounded, that there would be this incredible foundation in God's love so that you would be secure. You would be secure in your actions. And if you could comprehend how big God's love is, it would enable you to take greater risks. It would enable you to trust God more. It would enable you to, to forgive yourself more, able to forgive other people more. How wide is, is the love of Jesus for us? Can we get too far away from God that we can't, that we can, we can fall off of his love? The answer is no. Because it says when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. Jesus demonstrated his love for us then. So therefore, there's, there's nothing we can do that puts us outside of the, the measure of his love. How long is his love? Sometimes we see love kind of come and go. You know, um, in, in that corner, it could last a weekend, you know, just, you know, of uh, being in love and out of love. And, and you know, in, in our lives, we've seen, you know, p- uh, relationships where we have a relationship and then all of a sudden that, you know, it sours and you're in love and out of love and, or, you know, love grows tired and, and long. But, but God's love is really long. It's really patient. Because he has the big picture in mind. And you can't, you can't wear out his love. It's also high, it, it elevates. And those of you who are homeowners, back to the real estate thing for just a minute, uh, you have this thing, probably, depending on if you're in a low-lying area, called an elevation certificate, right? How many of you have an elevation certificate for your house? Good. Why do you have an elevation certificate? Because it saves on insurance. Well, it does if you're elevated. If you're not elevated, then it's... You know, you just tuck in the corner and say, oh, we don't have one. Um, but, um, you know, if you, hopefully you have one that demonstrates that your, your house is a, on a high enough foundation to be safe from the elements, safe from the storm. And that's what Paul's driving as. Hey, I hope you know that, that the love that Jesus has for you, that, that took him to the cross, is so high that it withstands the elements. It withstands the storms. It's a sure and solid foundation. And how, how deep is it? You know, his, his, his love is, is deep. And the only thing I could think of is, 
Um, again, you know, as I, as I sell houses, one of the things I, I, I'll take some people, see the, you know, it has a lovely pool, and look at this door. This door is a pool, is a, is a, is a door to the pool bathroom, which means that you can go right out of the pool and into the bathroom. It's all tiled, right? You know, some of you have a pool bath, okay? And why do you have a pool bath? Well, it's for the kids or the grandkids so that they don't what? Let's be honest. They don't pee in the pool, all right? That's why you have a pool bath, so you can like get out of the pool and go in, and you don't have to worry about wood floor or anything like that. They go in, they, and they pee, so they don't pee in the pool, because we don't want people peeing in the pool. What about the golf? Like when you're swimming out in the golf. I mean, do you, do you go all the way into the bathrooms? Let's be honest, people. You pee in the golf. Why is it okay to pee in the golf but not pee in the pool? Because it's gigantic. Because oh, it's salt water. What if you have a salt water pool? No, I mean, you know, I'm still going to go inside. All right. No, because it's, because it's expansive. It's gigantic. It's, it's negligible to, by comparison. Oh, so, so when we think about Jesus' love being deep, it is so expansive that, that our, our sin or our, our failures or our weakness or our fears or our hurts are, are so minimal by comparison. His perfect love casts out fear. His love is wide, long, high, deep. Here's this picture of the, the temple in Jerusalem. When Paul's thinking about a foundation for a temple, this is what he's, he's picturing. Now, that tallest building, okay, over there, that's about the size of a baseball infield, okay? It's 90 feet long and about 45 feet wide, all right? So then picture the rest of it, all right? Notice that the foundation on the, the, the outside, look how expansive and gigantic it is, that it holds tens of thousands of people who could come together to stand on that temple mount and worship together. Now, when, when Paul's writing, he's writing to the people who are in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there was this other building, the Temple of Artemis. And uh, this is a reconstruction of it because it doesn't la- it's not around anymore. But that thing was 450 feet long, 150 feet wide, and um, 100 feet tall. It's gigantic up on the hill. It was always present. It was obvious. It was it was massive. It's one of the seven wonders of the world, ancient world. Do you know what you, you find when you go to Ephesus now? You find one pillar. It's all that's left of the whole thing. One, one kind of half-height pillar in, in that uh, town. It's in somebody's backyard. When, when Paul says, this is my prayer for you, that you would recognize how big the foundation of God's love is, it would enable you to begin to think about who needs to be there with you. How big the temple of God can be when it comes to people, expansive, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. Is the, is the foundation of God's love big enough for the people you know? Yes, it is. People would go to a, a temple to meet God, to, to worship, and to hear instruction. And so Paul's prayer is that we would be that temple where people meet God and get to know him 
The third part of his prayer is this. I pray that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Let's go back to John chapter one. Jesus came full of grace and truth. It says that it was God with us. And so Paul's prayer is that we would be God with the world. Now, it's different. I mean, we're not, we're not deity, all right? We're, we're, we can be divine. We're not God, but we can be godly, God-like in our actions. In John 1.16, it says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. From the fullness of who Jesus is and what Jesus, uh, and, and watching him as he conducts himself, as he has conversations with people, as he gives truth, as he, as he demonstrates love, we receive that grace upon grace and it fills us. Elsewhere in Ephesians, Paul talks about the fact that, that we, the church, are his body and, and we are filled with his fullness. One of the places I love is, is this description that in, in Ephesians chapter four that Jesus gave gifts to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Why? Ultimately, so that we would be mature and that we would be the the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a kind of a weird way to say that we would, we would be like a mature Jesus to the people around us. So does Jesus need to be here in the flesh? No. It's to our advantage that, that he goes away and he sends the Holy Spirit. Why? So that Jesus is all over Sarasota, all over the Dominican Republic, all over wherever we go. That's his plan, that we would be, we'd be filled, that we would be reinforced. That's why we're reinforced on the inside. That's why we're grounded. That's why we're filled. You know, what will 360 be known for? You know, I, I guess when, uh, when my family first came, we came about two years ago, and, and uh, I first looked online. I was like, wow, this church has really cool graphics. No, uh, I did think that. But uh, beyond that, I was like, I read the philosophy ministry. I'm like, oh, I really like that. And, uh, and so we came one time and I, I uh, you know, I tweeted or that, uh, you know, we were at 360 and, and somebody said, oh yeah, that's uh, the church that, that Robin Audrey Chestnut came from. Uh, because in the church that we were up in, in New York, we supported the Chestnuts. Okay. And not only that, but um, I, I worked with Rob's father. We were kind of on staff together. And, and so I'm like, oh, a chestnut connection, 360. Oh, that's really cool. You know, and so there were a bunch of different things that kind of brought us here in, in the first place. And, and again, the first thing was the philosophy of ministry, what this church body thinks is important. And what will 360 be known for? What's, what's Pastor Steve's prayer for the church? What's the leadership's prayer for the church? I think it's Paul's prayer for the church that you would know that you are strengthened by the Holy Spirit, that you are grounded in the love of Jesus, that, that he came and he died, he took away your sin, and that you are filled with the fullness of God and that you are gonna do great things because of that. Let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us.
And I pray that it just always catches us off guard, that we are amazed over and over again at how you love us and that, that we couldn't get enough of that song because we are reminded of, of our bentness apart from you and our, our brokenness, our weakness, and that you are the one who takes who we are and you make us the best us because you want us to be able to communicate your grace and truth to other people because you love us so much and you love them so much. Help us just get such a strong sense of how deep and abiding your love is. Lord, I pray for the people that we're gonna interact with this week, maybe even this afternoon, that are a real challenge. People that need to see grace. People who need to hear truth perfectly mixed together. Oh, Lord God, that we would be those people. I pray for the the future of 360, that we would be the church known for its grace and its truth. In Jesus' name, amen.